Welcome to What's the Law Say, a presentation of Legal Aid of West Virginia. I'm Clint Adams, Legal Director of Legal Aid of West Virginia, and in this episode, we will be discussing Social Security law. As we like to remind you every time, Legal Aid of West Virginia is a nonprofit law firm providing legal services and advocacy to vulnerable West Virginians. This podcast is presented to bring relevant and current information. All the information is current at the time this podcast is published. Our guest attorneys are licensed to practice law only in the state of West Virginia, and this information relates only to the law in the state of West Virginia and is provided for informational purposes. While our host and guest are attorneys and non-attorney advocates, this information is legal information. It does not take the place of an attorney-client relationship. You should speak with an attorney about your specific situation. As noted, I'm Clint Adams. I'm your host. And today I will be joined by Vanessa Beam. Vanessa is a Social Security advocate in our Parkersburg office. Vanessa, welcome to the program. Thank you. Working in the Parkersburg office, what's some of the things that you do for fun there in Parkersburg? I sew a lot. I quilt. I get out and hang out and do a lot of yard work with my husband. There you go. One of the things I like to do is to take the ferry over to Blennerhassett Island when I'm in Parkersburg. I know it's uh, it's not particularly expensive. I believe it's a state park, um, but it's really pretty it there. And, and the kids enjoyed when we went there, they enjoyed going around. And there's a tree that the kids love to crawl into there on the, on the Blennerhassett Island. I remember that. I remember that we used to take our little one over there when he was growing up. Well, let's talk about work then, I guess, since we're going to have to talk shop. Uh, okay. you, you, What do you do as a social security advocate at Legal Aid of West Virginia? I am an authorized, uh, authorized representative to work for social security claimants in prosecuting their claims for benefits for their SSI or disability benefits. Also work on overpayments, survivor benefits, claim development from initial filing clear through the basic appeal stages through the administrative law judge and appeals council levels. So I think that's important to note in Social Security, right, the difference between an authorized representative and an attorney, because as I understand it, sometimes attorneys are authorized representatives, and sometimes the authorized representative is going to be a non-attorney. That is true. If you're not an authorized representative, Social Security is not going to recognize you in its system the larger majority of the time. So if you're needing someone to do Social Security work, you want to make sure you know whether you're getting an attorney or or not an attorney. Uh, What can an authorized representative do? I can do anything that a licensed attorney can do within the administrative arena, except once you pass the appeals council, which is your first post-hearing appeal, I cannot practice law and take the case to the United States District Court for further litigation. So as long as it remains in the Social Security administrative appeals process, an authorized representative can handle those cases? Yes. And that's a, and that you say it's an administrative process. So tell me, what's that process look like? It can be very straightforward initially, meaning that people need to file their claims and fill out all of the papers and go through all of the development process in order to have Social Security make a decision, a determination if if you qualify. If you do not qualify, then you can file an appeal. And your first level appeal is called reconsideration. 
if you don't pass, you just go back and do it all again. If you don't pass that reconsideration, the second level appeal is to request a hearing with the Office of Hearings Operations so that you can present your case to an administrative law judge. And then beyond that, your next level of appeal is to go to the Appeals Council, and that is administrative review by Social Security to see if the rules and actions that the judge took were consistent with the rules to see that they were applied correctly. If the Appeals Council picks up your case, they can send it back for further hearing, or they can say, you're wrong. And then, of course, that's where you would go to district court. I'm sorry. So we're using a lot of uh, trade-specific terms, I guess, would be a lot of jargon is the fancy word that we use to talk about fancy words that we're using, (laughs) ironically (laughs) enough, right? Um, So let's drop back a little bit. When we talk about Social Security, some people, when they think of Social Security, they think of what their grandparents are getting because they're working, or they think of what their folks are getting because they they worked for their life and then they retired. How does that play in with some of the other things that you're talking about? Okay. Social Security, retirement. Okay, it all falls under the umbrella of the Retirement Survivors and Disability Insurance Program of Social Security, the umbrella. The umbrella itself covers disability, SSI, retirement, and then there are the ancillaries that fall in there, such as survivor benefits, old age SSI that you get in conjunction with retirement and overpayments all are under there so let's let's talk through then so so as far as when when i retire right then i'm going to go social security and i'm going to say okay i've reached the age that i'm eligible do you know what that age is now it depends on when you were born i think now it's 67 and a half so that would be today. I think mine is 70 based on the communications that I've gotten from Social Security. And I, when I turn 70, I can go down and say, OK, I'm eligible. I want my Social Security. And then they'll set me up and they'll start um, start giving me the payments that I've made for contributions that I have made into the yes. to the Social Security Administration. So that's that's the old age. And as I understand, you can go on the Social Security website and find out how much money you would be making in retirement. You can get yourself a My SSA account, and pretty much everybody should have one. Number one, they're free. And number two, you can look and see, God forbid, if something happened, what you could draw. You could look to know for retirement planning purposes. It just is, it'll tell you how many quarters you have, but it just is a wonderful resource and it's free. So now let's say I've been paying into Social Security, um, but before I turn 70, let's say when I'm 55 or 60, something terrible befalls me and I'm 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 disabled. I become disabled and I'm mm-hmm. unable to work then. What's that process look like? That process assumes that you have significant work history. And if you do and you have amassed 40 covered quarters of employment, meaning you earn more than uh, right now, the amount's 1460 a month, then you potentially would be fully insured because what you pay in in payroll withholding is actually purchasing a policy of disability insurance and you want to collect on that. So you can file a claim online or you can file a claim by telephone 
you have to be able to answer about your financial situation, about your work history, about your medical history. And the number one thing that comes with disability or SSI is if you are not treating and developing a medical record, there's nothing to base your claim on and there's no way you can win. So you have to be treating. Once you file that claim, it goes through the same process of an SSI claim, meaning Social Security will look at your claim and see if you happen to meet a compassionate allowance or you have something that meets one of their criteria that automatically is going to cause you to pass. Otherwise, if they do not pass you, you go to the reconsideration first level appeal and somebody fresh at Social Security looks at your claim to see if they see anything different. You can submit additional medical evidence for an appeal on reconsideration. After that, if you are not successful, then your claim would need to go to a hearing at the Office of Hearings Operations level. So it's the same appeals process that we talked about earlier on. And yes. basically, that's going to be the same thing, no matter which of these social securities uh, eligibilities that you may have. Is that correct? Yes. So you, you used a word earlier. You talked about a compassionate analysis. Um, what does that mean? A compassionate allowance is when you have a disorder that is flagged by Social Security as this is a shoe-in, you are going to get benefits. Some of the compassionate, sometimes if you have cancer, that's a good, that's a compassionate allowance. Huntington's d disease, Frederick's ataxia, chronic renal disease, chronic kidney disease, there are, I think there are 40 compassionate allowances that are just automatic, you're going to pass. Now, there is also what they call fast track, which is when you have something wrong and it's not necessarily a compassionate allowance, but the handwriting is on the wall that you're pretty well going to pass and they know it. Sometimes they'll go ahead and, and I guess, put your claim on speed dial of sorts so that you can get your benefits. And in that case, they can issue what they call conditional payments pending approval of your claim. If you get conditional payments, though, and something goes sideways, you have to pay them back. Now, when you say you're going to pass, you don't mean you're going to be eligible no, for this. Gonna you're, you're gonna pass, you're going to pass through the thing. What you mean is you're going to die, right? No, I mean, you're going to pass as in be approved. Okay. <laughs> if you pass as in die, then that's a whole different ball of wax as far as ancillary benefits that may be available to your spouse and survivors. Okay, so let's talk about that as, as you talked about, right? Let's say I've worked the, i got to love the government, right? 40 quarters, or as I call that, 10 years, right? If, if you've worked for 10 years, it doesn't have to be consecutive, 10 straight True. years. But if I work for basically 10 years, then I could be I would likely be eligible for Social Security. As long as you have had 20 quarters in the last 10 years, you would still be eligible under the disability program. So, so if you worked and then you took off to stay home with your children and then you worked here and there in a fast food restaurant six months out of a year every two or three years, you're not going to have the full 20 quarters in the last 10 years. 
Okay. And that will knock you off of eligibility for disability insurance. Okay. So if I'm eligible then for either disability insurance or for old age benefits, and then and then I die, you talked about survivor benefits. Who would be eligible to get survivor benefits? Your dependent children under the age of 18, so long as they are attending school and making progress toward graduation, potentially your spouse or a former spouse provided Number one, that you have a significant record of earnings, and number two, that they meet the marriage requirement, which is usually about 10 years, and that they are between the ages of 50 and 60 and disabled, or they are 60, and it's a retirement issue. Basically, my surviving spouse or my former spouse, if they are of a certain age, and children who are under a certain age. Yes, it doesn't magically cut off at 18, right? It cuts off whenever they are done with basically high school. Yes, high school. Sometimes children are eligible for Social Security that doesn't attach to a parent's Social Security. Is that correct? Yes, they're eligible for SSI, and under certain circumstances, they can draw under a parent's disability insurance. Okay. So how would they be eligible if it's not a, a disabled parent, let's say that, that the child has, do, do they qualify for their own disability, I guess is the question. They qualify for supplemental security income, which is SSI. Children can receive the same SSI benefit as any adult, but the kicker is that where adult claims have to meet the standards of different medical listings, in other words, criteria that Social Security ticks off, children are compared in domains to each other. So what that means is every other five-year-old is this. Where does little Johnny compare and fall into that? And, you know, let's, the big one, the big test for that is can little Johnny tie his shoes? There are a lot of different skills that go into shoe tying, but on the other hand, if little Johnny is comparable with other children in the same age group, then that's not a disability in the sense that there's a problem. Right. A six, all, all six-month-olds are nonverbal, right? I mean, that's that's the reality, right? So you wouldn't say they're so. unable to communicate. They're unable to communicate because at a six-month-old, that wouldn't be expected. But if if it's a five-year-old and they're unable to communicate in a meaningful way, then then that's obviously not in line with where most five-year-olds would be. True enough. Of course, you also have children who receive SSI based on birth defects, um, specifically something that happens at birth or say a child has glioglossoma and attendant glioglossoma is where your tongue is bigger than your mouth uh, attendant issues that cause problems failure to thrive all kinds of different developmental things because you're right at six months you're not talking and at five you really are but there are also things that change you from a normal baby to a baby with needs, and that can cause an award. So let's say a child was born with, I don't know, say some some sort of a heart defect, right? That 
maybe they maybe they had a couple of open heart surgeries or something that resulted from the time that they were born and and their heart hadn't fully developed. Would that be someone that would be eligible for SSI? Potentially, yes. Is every child eligible for SSI or does the income of the parents matter? SSI is not income based. You don't have to have any work history. You just have to basically exist and meet financial qualifications. There are occasions where parents will work and a child is eligible for SSI, but financially unable to be paid. If your family makes more than a certain level of income, it can deprive a child of SSI benefits, but because the child potentially is approved for a claim, then that would cause Medicaid to attach. So in other words, let's say Let's just let's just throw ridiculous numbers out there, right? Let's say you have a household income of five hundred thousand dollars a year, right? So we're pretty sure they're not going to qualify for any any kind of income needs based assessments, right? Mm -hmm. But the so the child then is born with a heart defect. They could then apply for SSI, and SSI would say you're eligible to receive SSI, but as long as you're making half a million dollars a year, you ain't gonna make anything. Yes. But the Medicaid would still attach and they would still be eligible. Medicaid to would attach if you're approved for the SSI, even if you are financially ineligible. So what that would mean is, and if they had insurance through their work, that would be the primary that would cover the child. But when there are co-pays and other things like that, Medicaid would pick that up. Do I understand Medicaid that? would be your secondary pickup. And uh, and that that's for any child that will be eligible for SSI. Yes. Whether or not they would receive payments from the government would depend on the household income. Yes. Or really the income of the parents, right? The household resources and income of the parents, yes. Because if, if I have guardianship of a child, then that that may be different, right? Yes. When you have legal guardianship, let's say you're drawing disability insurance and you have legal guardianship of a child, but you're not the adoptive parent, then you cannot claim ancillary benefits for that child. But once you would adopt that child, then suddenly, because you're on disability insurance, potentially that child or however many children you have together are entitled to an award of up to half of what you receive per month in disability benefits. So now when a child when a child is eligible for SSI, whether it's because of a birth defect or because of a developmental thing that do they have that then for the rest of their life? No. And and that is a big misconception I hear from a lot of people. Well, gee, I had that when I was little and, and now I'm 18 and they cut me off because, number one, the rules change when you're 18. But as you go through the process whether you have SSI or whether you have disability insurance, Social Security is going to conduct what they call a continuing disability review or CDR periodically. It's usually every three to five years, unless there's some kind of a circumstance where they really think you're going to be better and then they'll do it at, at more frequent intervals. Each time you have a CDR, it's like having a brand new claim and you have to show that your disability is ongoing and prevents you from working or if you're a child from being in the same realm as your peers. 
just because you get it once doesn't mean you're going to get it when you're an adult or when the stars align and you're better, you don't get it. Basically, the disability insurance only attaches as long as the disability exists. Yes. Say, let's start with a, a disability such as being blind. Um, you know, that that's clearly going to impact um, your ability to function, your ability to work. So let, let's start with that one. What would an assessment like that look like from Social Security? Well, when you're blind, you're not necessarily unable to work. There are different rules and criteria for blind folks. The biggest one is that when you are blind, you can earn money and work and still draw disability and you're allowed to draw two thousand four hundred and six or earn two thousand four hundred and sixty dollars a month before it counts against you. If you are John Q public and you're not blind and you want to work and you're receiving disability, not SSI, you potentially can earn up to one thousand four hundred and sixty dollars before it makes you not disabled on a regular and continuing basis. There are also various supports that Social Security can help with for blind folks that enable them to work. Biggest thing I see with Social Security and blindness is they make two differentiations. There is the low vision bit and there is blindness. Typically to be found blind, you have to have vision of less than 2200 in your good eye corrected. If it's less than that or if your visual field is less than 20 degrees, that's blind. If you have no penetrable light, that's blind. If you just wear glasses because you're not 29 anymore and you can't see or you see better than 2200 corrected, that may qualify as a low vision claim. You can be granted disability based on blindness alone, but if you have a low vision claim, it's one of those things that has to wrap up with all of your other problems to make you disabled. You can't be disabled on low vision alone. What are some of the other problems then that they may be assessing that, that could include a disability finding? Pretty much anything that's wrong with you that makes you unable to work, whether it's a mental thing, a trauma or stress problem, a back problem, body problem, neurologic, anything from head to toe. So we're not talking about only physical disabilities, for example, you know, if you if you have to be in a wheelchair, for example, right? We're, we're talking about more than just that, though, right? Uh, we're talking very about very much more, very much more. I mean, your body claims, I call them body claims and mental claims. Your body claims have to do with what's wrong with your physical person. Chances are you can see this person's in a wheelchair or is missing a limb or walks with crutches or any has a voice box, any number of things. The injuries and ailments that you can't see are generally above your ears and involve mental health issues. I operate under the assumption that if you're in this life, chances are you've got issues of some sort. And specifically, if you have a serious medical condition, you may look perfectly fine, but it's going to mess with your mind. And those things figure into a person's ability to work. If you 
are a trauma survivor, let's say you were threatened with death and somebody tried to kill you or you were robbed at gunpoint in a store or domestic abuse and you were beaten half to death, you know, that kind of thing is an example of a traumatic event that impacts your ability to function. And so traumatic and stress-related disorders are a newer listing or criteria with Social Security that can help push your claim over the edge to passing successfully. If you have a mental health component, everybody's got everybody's got a brain and everybody's got issues in life. But if you have that mental health component, when you wrap a person all of a person's ailments, we want to make sure that the elements in the ball make it big enough to have a successful claim. Social Security also has its own doctors. Social Security's doctors can examine a patient, a claimant, and make independent findings. And then there are the doctors that are in-house for Social Security that review the medical evidence and the expert opinions and make their own call. And the other problem is they have a book that they use called the Dictionary of Occupational Titles that talks about the work that you've done and the work that they think you can do. One has to consider that they have not updated the Dictionary of Occupational Titles since 1977. And in the last nearly 50 years, things have changed a lot. One of the things that I know that's in there that they talk about is elevator operators. And I don't know if you remember when you were a kid, you went to the diamond and the lady got to flip the switch. We thought that was the coolest job ever. There are no jobs for that. Telex operators. I don't think I've seen a telex since 19-whatever. Copier, copy paper tech, copier technicians. Now, you know as well as I do within legal aid, we have people that make copies. But that's not the only thing they do all day. It may be a copier technician, but they're very limiting and a lot of them are obsolete. So let me talk a little bit about some of those things. Let's say I'm currently receiving disability, but I think I could work. And I think that there's some things that that maybe I could do. And I've been talking to my doctor and my doctor said, you know, I I think you could try, you know, X, Y, or Z as, as as a way to earn income, to get out, to be in the community. Does does Social Security help people that are on disability or are they just like, well, we hope you get to work. Good luck to you. And if you can, we're going to cut you off. Or do they have some sort of a process to help people through that? They do have a process. Uh, They have the Ticket to Work program. You can make a trial work attempt. The other thing is, and this is not so, well, I'll take that back. It is with SSI and with disability. People need to report their earnings as they get them. I think they say within the end of the month, but if you do it every time you get a paycheck, you don't have a problem. They need to report their earnings because the number one way to get in trouble is not to do that. And then suddenly they're cutting, either if you're on SSI, they're going to charge you with an overpayment and take money out of your payment every month to pay for it. Or if you're on disability, 
they don't do that. They just cut your check off smack and suddenly, hello, I didn't get a check this month. We talked about some of the things that are evident and objective when we're talking about body claims. And then we talked a little bit about how you can qualify for Social Security for things that may be more mental. Maybe it's post-traumatic stress. Maybe it's, um, you know, anxiety to a to an unreasonable degree or depression. Mm-hmm. How How do you go about proving those to Social Security? You can have all the problems in the world, but if you don't treat them, there's no evidence. And if it didn't happen on paper, you don't have anything to back up your claim. So, generally speaking, medical or mental health claims require what they call a longitudinal history of treatment. In other words, you're on a path of treatment. You've done it for a while. They usually like to see you do it for a couple of years consistently. And by consistently, I mean not only going to your appointments, but actually doing what they suggest and taking medication, because not taking medication is a big issue. Then they get into whether your issues cause you to have interference with memory, with getting along with people, with consistency, with pace, with all the skills and attributes that it takes to be able to work. Let's say someone has something like dementia or schizophrenia, um, which which are historically difficult for providers to treat because part of that or bipolar disorder, right, is part of that are these manic times when people um, will not seek treatment despite the fact that they have, you know, appointments scheduled um, when, when they're in a manic state that you know, they tend to not you know, follow through with that. How difficult does that make it to develop the record for Social Security? It causes some issues because you really do have to treat. Now, if you've got a history that you're, let's say you're bipolar and you have a history that every so often you have these episodes and you're not treating, well, guess what? You've got an established record of that. So that's very important. Also, if you have what they call episodes of decompensation where suddenly You're going along fine, and all of a sudden you just are, and you end up inpatient. There's a record. The whole thing is about developing that record, because if there is no medical evidence, there is no record, and without a record, there is no successful claim. Well, Vanessa, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us and to share your knowledge about Social Security. I think this has been a beneficial conversation, and I know I have learned something as well, so thank you for your time. No problem. More information about this topic is available at Legal Aid's website at LegalAidWV.org. Thank you for joining us for this presentation of What's the Law Say? A presentation of Legal Aid of West Virginia.